0: Hi, Eric. Hi. Hi, Aaron. How are you doing? I'm fine. Oh, that's good to hear. How you been? I've uh the madness of the last couple of weeks has been extraordinary. I appreciate your patience.
1: Oh, I'm happy to be here. I spent my evening uh tonight reading the article on the People's Park in Berkeley.
0: Oh, People's Park, yeah. yeah. What do you know about it? Uh I know how to drive there. You
1: know I could walk there, there also,
0: but I'm not going to. I could take bars. Walking there is a um, bit far. I if there is a a plaque or something that explains it I don't think I've ever read it. Yeah. Well,
1: it was a very protesty place.
0: And Yes, the, I know that much.
1: The article, The People's Park has to be one of the best names for. It describes Berkeley in ways that are <laughs> just so so beautiful. The, there's another institution in Berkeley called the uh called Cheeseboard, right? Yes. It's it's excellent pizza. Some of my kids don't agree with me. Well, they're wrong. <laughs> but uh, but, I, but I love it. And the full name of it is the Cheeseboard Pizza Collective. That's right.
0: <laughs> um, yes. I need to go. It's re- walking distance from People's Park. That's right. A few short blocks.
1: That's right. Pizza. Uh, it's great pizza. The People's Park was the site of a violent protest in 1969 called Bloody Thursday. So it's actually a very sad story. Um, Reagan <laughs> was involved. <laughs> was he president at the time? Or, or governor, I mean? He was governor and he called the Berkeley campus. And this is going to be just, I'm telling you, the perfect segue for how we start our episode. Are you okay. ready? I'm excited. I'm this, excited. This is, he called the Berkeley campus a haven for communist sympathizers, protesters, and sex deviants. Little <laughs> uh, Reagan the quote is fantastic the article is not people like <laughs> they used shotguns to break up the oh my gosh to break up the the riot that happened there it was kind of during the Vietnam era and there were pro- it was a big protest thing there was a park they wanted to plant it was very kind of hippie kind of thing where they wanted to put in a bunch of gardens and have it be very communal and kind of stuff and uh yeah and there were there were protests and they got broken up. A guy died and another one was blinded.
0: This argument hasn't really ended. I seem to remember hearing something during the pandemic about a new plan to put up some high density housing in People's Park.
1: Yeah. They put up fencing to do some seismic testing. Well, let's see. Actually, I just started reading that without first figuring it out. But there's been activity there, even as a recent as 2001, something called Defend People's Park. Um, so... It's an interesting place, and it—it it kind of—we know our show, Face and Hat, is kind of um, has Berkeley in its like
0: subtext in many ways, right? Yes, most of our original considered titles included Berkeley in the title. That's right, because we love it. We do. It's where we live, or adjacent to it, depending where... on how you count. All right, Emily Kaplan in the Washington Post.
1: On September 27th, 2020, RUN published an article called The Rise of Liberal Latter-day Saints and the Battle for the Future of Mormonism.
0: And in it, she wrote the following paragraph. Oh, no. (laughs) You're going to start here, huh? Yeah. Okay, let's hear it.
1: (laughs) When I attended Sunday services in Berkeley, I saw a tire you'd be hard-pressed to find in Latter-day Saint services in the rest of the country from flip-flops to tank tops. Multiple men in attendance wore beards, which were, are prohibited for missionaries and on BYU campuses and are controversial in many other Latter-day Saint circles. And in another conspicuous flouting of the norms, <laughs> the newly elected leader of the elders quorum, the wards organization of priesthood holders wore
0: shoulder length air. It was a hard run campaign, Aaron. Thank you for your vote. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: okay. First of all, this is fantastic. I love that. Um... Oh, I should let people in. The end. That's you. That's me. I am, I am the conspicuous flouter.
0: <laughs> um, and we've established that your hair is longer than mine at the moment. Yes, it's been getting longer. Like, like at some point, there's a maximum length hair can be, right? Where hair is falling out at a rate where it can't get any longer. Oh, that's I haven't good. Reached that
1: point yet. I feel like there's some philosophy there, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, it's an excellent article and it does indirectly cite you as a flouter of norms. And it's about liberalism. I just want, wait, can I just say
0: real quick that okay. I don't consider myself a flouter? Okay. I just haven't cut my hair. Like, there's no flouting going on. It's just uncut. There's been a pandemic on. I don't know if anybody is aware of this at the Washington Post, but a lot of people haven't been getting their hair cut. <laughs> um, that's great. Um, why is Berkeley an important place? You know, I've heard this said that we are kind of like a, um, we're the leaven, right? We're the salt. Um, we are the pollen Jesus didn't use that one, but a lot of people pass through Berkeley on their way to other places and people often leave our ward changed, at least according to the testimony they give on their final fast Sunday. I think we're good for the church because I don't think, I mean, you look at the early leadership of the church, somebody like Joseph Smith or Brigham Young and, 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 although both of them tried to build Zion of one heart and one mind, they weren't really people who embraced monolithic thinking.
1: Um, this article, which we've chosen to focus on, talks about the rise of the liberal Latter-day Saints and the battle for the future of Mormonism.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, one comment on the title real fast. Sure. Uh, I don't know this, Um. I did interact with Emily briefly on Twitter, though I didn't identify myself as the conspicuous flouter. Uh, But I will say, as like a former journalist, you can never assume that the person who wrote the article had anything to do with the title. So that may not be her title. Just throwing that out there. Uh, Fair enough. But go ahead. Go ahead. You were headed towards a point.
1: Well, my point is that what I want to talk about today is the word liberal,
0: liberal, liberal, this is the word liberalism. It's 17 syllables, so you need to say it a little bit longer. It's so
1: liberal. So it's specifically the contrast and the schism and the division that this article portrays and in many ways I think portrays accurately, but also I think is something that needs to be confronted in some ways. Yeah,
0: but, possibly demolished. And
1: also, I should note that we're not the first podcast or Mormon thinker people
0: to talk about this article. At no, length. we've let it mellow quite a while, even though we <laughs> are close to a number of the people who are cited in it.
1: Yeah. We're going to talk a lot about um, one of my favorite people in the world here in this article. Do you think that's is that what we should do? I mean, I actually don't know how we should proceed.
0: Yeah. Two of my favorite people are in this article and they're identified by name there. So I don't think we're violating anyone's privacy. I mean, Matt went on to be on our local NPR station to talk about this article in a call-in talk show for, I think it was a half an hour. Okay. I don't think he got the full hour. Okay. (laughs) That's fine. I actually didn't know that. I'm wondering if we could put a link to that in the
1: notes. We can definitely put a link to that. Okay. We're talking about Matt Morastica, who is one of the... The best people on the face of the planet, in my opinion, in my humble opinion. He was probably wearing flip-flops. He was probably perhaps. wearing foot flip-flops. And he was the he was my bishop when I moved into the ward. Oh, was he? Mm-hmm. 2010. Yeah, that makes sense because you moved in a little bit later than us. That's right. And um, I was his clerk for during that time. Why is he quoted in this
0: article so much? Uh, because I think. Matt has a couple advantages in terms of representing the, quote, liberal, unquote, Mormon. Um, a, he works at Stanford. Um, B, he's an accomplished professional person with a an impressive CV. Um, C, am I doing letters or numbers? I think I'm at C. Sure. Uh, he's well-spoken. And D, perhaps most importantly, he's very good friends with and now related through marriage Uh, with Peggy Fletcher Stack, who is perhaps the most accomplished religion writer in an American newspaper focus, who focuses a lot of her writing on the Latter-day Saints. So he's already been quoted in the Tribune more than once. So I think for a lot of reasons, he's really easy to find if you're looking for a person who meets those criteria. And he's an easy person to, for a all the stereotypes of the liberal mainstream media to respect. That's a great answer.
1: I'm going to rattle off for you some terms. Look, my thinking about how to approach this conversation is a bit scattered. Um, one of the ways I thought about would be to do some antonym tests
0: for you, okay? Antonym? Like words that mean the opposite? Yeah. Okay
1: just to, and I'm doing this on purpose, even though I hate it. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And because I think it will illustrate
0: what the point that I want to make is you ready. I teach high school English. So making people do things they hate because there's a good reason for it is, is right up my alley. All right. Liberal. Um, I suppose the correct answer is conservative, but I, I don't think I believe that. I, I think a better opposite for liberal is something more like, um, I don't want to go so far as like fascist, but like like a liberal is the idea of like anti-freedom and so forth. That was not a one-word answer. I apologize. I don't mind. This is why we're doing it. Um left. Right. Democrat. Hmm. Well, we're well trained to say the opposite of Democrat is Republican, but I I'm not sure I buy that either. Pro-choice. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> We're so trained to see these things as opposite. Um, I mean, the word pro-choice wouldn't exist if the word pro-life didn't exist first. Like I said, I hate this, but yeah. we're going to keep going. Big government. Oh, uh, I guess limited, right? Limited is the right answer. Limited yeah. government. But I I think actually the opposite of a big government, though, um, might be a failed government. Um. I, I love the idea of anarchism. Uh, in fact, I just downloaded a bunch of chumbawamba rarities while I was waiting for our meeting to start. Like I'm I'm not opposed to anarchy. I, I believe it's entirely possible to happen. I suspect Zion is rather anarchic in its pure form. I just read a book review in the Atlantic of a new book that's that's just out about how um, government may actually be a choice and not an thing absolutely required by fate as people learn how to plant wheat. Um, So I don't, I don't know. I'm uh, it's a really interesting question. Like Uh, what is the opposite of big government? um, Taxes or rather lots of taxes. That's funny. The first word that popped in my head was freedom. So I'm just going to go for that. (laughs) (laughs) All
1: right. Um, How about this Uh, pacifism? Uh, Warmongering. Yeah. I had originally written down anti-gun, but the problem with anti-gun is that it immediately you just say pro-gun because that's... Uh, obvious, I believe obvious, the correct opposite. term for anti-gun is pro-life. Oh, okay. <laughs> that feels really political, but I'm I'm taking a minute <laughs> just to try to catch up with it.
0: <laughs> um, uh, atheist. Um, you know, it's funny. I just listened to another podcast by someone in the dialogue podcast network, it was firesides uh, or fireside, excuse me, with Blair Hodges. And he interviewed a gentleman by the name of dark. And I have, his book is waiting for me at the library because it was a great, first of all, the book's title is life's too short to pretend you're not religious, which is a great title. (laughs) Um, And I listened, I listened to that hour or whatever it was. And he made the point that the most honest religious stance is probably agnosticism. Like you can choose to believe or you can choose not to believe, but ultimately these are things that are in some core way unknowable. And I, so I think the opposite of atheism might be agnosticism. That's great. Um, I put
1: godly here. Godly, that's so nice. But I like that. I like your turn. Evolution. Uh, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I put creationism here creationism
0: yeah
1: <laughs> all right um you're 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 giving good answers because they are like thinky answers right i oh, deliberately I, I deliberately put less thinking a- answers here because it was annoying Knee jerk reactions mm-hmm. answers okay how about this one urban rural okay
0: anarchistic oh I guess I have to say big government. I've, I've forced my hand. <laughs> you did. Um, but actually, like, I think, so I do believe like a peaceful anarchy is possible, but our world is set up where I'm, I'm not so sure. Like, I don't think, we can't just introduce anarchy to people who are used to control. It's like, it's like how so many, our prison system is set up so poorly that people's lives are so controlled and they're given so little opportunity to grow in our modern American prison system that when they leave, there's so much recidivism because... They didn't have a, they didn't have a chance to learn how to be free. And I suspect that that's where we're at
1: Anarchy sounds
0: great, but I don't think we're prepared as a people to be free.
1: Yeah. I put nationalistic here.
0: Um, diversity, uh, monoculture. Yeah. I put homogeneity,
1: um, open tent. And I picked this one because it's in the article. It's something that, that, um, uh, that it's a, it's a word used to describe, uh, the Berkeley ward.
0: Yeah, um, there, the, the comic strip Garden of Enid by Scott Hales, which is a, an excellent uh, work of Mormon <laughs> literature. Uh, Enid has, in one of the strips, she complains about the whole concept of an open tent and how inherently limiting that is. And I forget what metaphor she landed on. I don't remember what Enid thinks the opposite of the open tent is. But I guess the open tent, like the opposite is like really bad weather. Because you can't have an open (laughs) tent in Seattle. Uh, That's great. Progressive. Regressive. All right. And here's the one I was saving
1: for the end. Gay rights. Hmm. Gay
0: oppression, maybe? Why do I hate this list so much? Well, I'll tell you why. And you're going to believe me because I'm right. (laughs) Good. The problem with all these terms is they prevent us from actually engaging with reality they allow us to substitute reality for little catchphrases that we can have strong emotions over that's the problem
1: liberalism versus conservatism 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 um i have to admit eric in preparing for this particular episode i didn't feel very great about it yeah tell because me why this is a topic that we've revisited several times over the past past couple seasons, which is the inability to the, the schism is the word. Yeah. And this is a word that is used in the article. And I want to read the quote. This is a quote from Patrick Q. Mason, chair of Mormon history and culture. In context, the article says the church is as an institution the church as an institution is by no means on the brink of reinventing itself as a progressive force, All right? Cause that's one of the fo- focuses of the article is that there exists a, you know, a current of liberalism, you know, under in, in the, in the Mormon communities and it uses Berk- Berkeley as an example of where one of these places is, but it is struggling with how much and whether to accommodate liberals and the result has been substantial internal division. I can see multiple futures for Mormonism, says Patrick Q. Mason, author of the 2016 book, Out of Obscurity, Mormonism Since 1945. I honestly, I honestly don't know which way it's going to go. The one thing I know is that I think the church leadership is going to try and hold the whole thing together. That's always been the impulse to prevent schism. And that's going to be increasingly difficult, but they're going to try my impulse, Eric. Yeah. Is to agree with some of our community that we've been talking with our, our discordians, we have a discord server and we brought this topic up. So before the episodes, we could get some opinions. This is from one of our discordians, Kent. And he said, The more important issue is whether and how we learn to live with each other without throttling their righteous desires. So schism versus reconciliation. I want to believe that given enough love that I can weave a line through these disruptive antonyms with my fellow Mormons and arrive at the end in a place of harmony but I worry
0: that it's naive. I think it's good to worry. It's naive because naivete would suggest that you don't have to worry about it and everything will work out fine in the end. And I think that sort of panglossy attitude is a mistake. I think anything takes work. I also suspect the two main drivers of that move people out of the church are one, um, a lack of love within themselves and two, perception of a lack of love within the church
1: one of the great things about the berkeley ward is how much everybody cares about each other and we have very progressive sunday school lessons probably more than any of the other wards i've ever been in but i still feel like we're careful to avoid schism and that's probably good but i don't know man is it (sighs) When I look at this issue list of antonyms there's stuff in here that I don't really care about okay urban versus rural right um that's fine you know less taxes more taxes this is stuff we can work on right but some of the stuff really matters to me right gay rights diversity right and I see issues like this and it's hard for me to ever really think that um that it's hard for me to it's hard for me to see hope that we won't continue to get talks to, that are divisive and i just don't know what to do so help me yeah. out is there any well use... what, what, what this is where this is the tone that i had when i was kind of preparing and one of the reasons i wanted to to state my feelings about this is because i know better <laughs> I know that there is there is reconciliation and love, and we'll get to a better place at the end. But I just wanted to be frank at this point.
0: Yeah, I think we have all the tools we need. Um. And some of the questions that I don't know the answer to, and and maybe aren't mine to answer, are, um, do we have the will within leadership? To push us in a direction of charity um we have a lot of great writing on use that would be very useful in solving these problems but there's very little way for people to access it um there is a lot of diversity in the church and, and like one thing that i think is one of the great Drivers of liberalism within the church, Uh, and let me define liberalism as I see it. Okay, um, so so I think of liberalism in kind of two ways. One is sort of the founding of America way, where the idea is we need to increase the uh number of people involved in running things, and um, and there needs in order for that to happen, there needs to be a great openness to ideas, there needs to be a great um push for a greater education for the people generally and so forth. Now, obviously the founding fathers fell short in many ways, but they set up a system in which the world could become more liberal. More and more people were allowed to vote, more and more people are allowed to hold office, more and more people are allowed to be educated. Uh, As time goes on, the system is overall expanding. That's my first thought of liberalism. And my second thought of liberalism is an application of this idea that all knowledge is good, which to me is also a very Latter-day Saint idea. If all true things are valuable, and if some things are true, such as all people are worthy of love, worthy of respect, um, deserve to be heard, then it is natural that as we embrace truth more and more thoroughly, that we will also embrace people more and more thoroughly. So I see those as, as two really tied concepts. And I think one of the great drivers of liberalism in the church is the missionary program. Uh, sending out teenagers on missions um, has always been an insane thing to do and will remain an insane thing to do until the end of time. But one really important thing it does is it gets every single one of those missionaries the opportunity to understand a broader view of the world, to understand people that they otherwise never would have met, to actually serve people, to actually, you know, get down on their knees and wash some feet. And I think that the missionary program has the potential to make us see the rest of the world better and more thoroughly and more accurately. Now, two years is not a, not a long time. Like, I feel very closely tied to Korea, but I only live there two years. Uh, my language is atrophied a lot. Um, it's not like it's not like I'm some kind of expert on Korea it, or anything like that, but my capacity to see a larger percentage of the world as fully human was definitely impacted by my serving a mission. And I I don't know if anything else in my life that really compares to that. And I hope I've learned the lessons from that. And I've and I'm a lot more open to people in the world one thing about the church now is it is global. And like a lot of Christian faiths, it's becoming more Southern hemisphere oriented. And if we in America with our petty little disagreements and our our conservative liberal divide are going to grow up and be fully Christian, we need to recognize that it's not just our dumb little arguments, but the world is a lot bigger than us. That is really kind of sideways from the points you were driving toward. But I, I think those are key to solving things like how do we, how do we make the church more open to, um, and by the church, I mean like the American Latter-day Saint church yeah. to the kinds of diversity that come up when we're arguing liberal slash conservative. Is there a way
1: to heal this schism without compromising on the issues that we care about?
0: Do you want another two-part answer? Yeah. So I think, the two-part answer is we need to get over the things that aren't that important. But the problem of course, is that not everybody agrees on which which things those are. Um, The perception of a lot of American Latter-day Saints is that the church is politically conservative and that influences their opinions on a lot of other things. Um, Not always in a thoughtful way, sometimes so, but when I think of the core stances that the church tends to engage in politically with the one big exception, um, I'm thinking of like treating refugees well. Um, I think of ish- concerns about poverty and so forth. and And if we were just if we weren't to rank them by how much attention they get or how much energy they get, but just the list of all the things the church is publicly engaged in, the list is very caring for others oriented as a whole. And I love that. I think I think that's really good.
1: Um, I want to kind of now back off a bit. Um, one, the reason I don't like these labels is because I don't really believe in them. Okay. I really don't think that I think that they're reductive and I think some of them are reductive on purpose. Oh, for sure. I think that when, you know, we had our episode about how the devil went down to Berkeley Mm -hmm. and we talked about the devil and how people invoke the devil in lots of talks
0: but i gotta say i see the devil in this <laughs> i saw an interesting stat today um about how fox news how often they mentioned critical race theory uh, and it was through the roof right constant mentions and as soon as the day after the elections happened it dropped off like it's almost completely gone from their arrays hmm. it's a lot easier to talk about the devil or, or to call something the devil than to solve the problem, and why not call that demonic?
1: yeah <laughs> it's it's two different and opposing muscles that we have to navigate as members of the church. We have to, um, you know, rage against this particular division, right? about we have to reject this idea. That it's us versus get, versus them, right? And we have to find the opportunities to be together, but we can't compromise on the issues that matter to us. And so I don't, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> and it drives me crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Everything you said before was great. I still don't know how to do it. I think it's a little too easy for us to sit in Berkeley and say, You know, all's well in Zion. I have been in wards and heard things like cheap jokes at the expense of of, um, gay people, for instance. And I think I'm now at a point where if I heard something like that, I would be able to comment in hopefully a not unhelpful way, Um, as opposed to just, you know, when in Rome, just ignore what the Romans do. (laughs) But I I think that if you really have a testimony of something, you have a responsibility to stand up for that thing.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, at the end of the day, the answer is just keep on keeping on, I suppose. But
0: well, I, I think another thing that needs to be said, and and social media can make this a little easier. And I think it's one of the reasons the church is always promoting hashtags. But sometimes people just need models. If, you have, uh, if, if you've lived in a particular town in which you have never heard anything nice said about a group of people ever, you don't really know how to say such a thing or to, um, or even to reject that sort of thing. Models, models are really important. And I, I think that that is one of the roles that the Berkeley ward has played historically. People come in here, they see another model for how to talk about some of these topics and they're able to take that with them when they leave. Um, and I, I worry a lot about like getting all ram-emptum about the Berkeley ward, because I think that it's not that hard to find our own failings. No group of people is gonna be perfect. Um, but I do think that we have found our way towards some solutions for some specific problems that hopefully can be helpful to other people. Work.
1: It's. I feel like we've been dancing around this long enough. There's really huh, one issue. Quoting Doctor Benjamin E. Park in his response. Friend of the show,
0: whether he likes it or not. Yep. A well,
1: friend of the show, even if he, even if we've never met. Um. In his very thoughtful thread in response to Emily Kaplan's article, he says this. Well, he goes through and he says what's what essentially what's new and what's old in this. This this thesis that liberalism is um, is is that there's this rising tide of liberalism that could someday mm-hmm. change the church, right? Yeah. He says, what's new? As Kaplan notes, LGBTQ issues will likely shape modern Mormonism, for better or for worse. It's becoming an increasingly divisive wedge between generations, and it's also becoming the prism through which members and leaders alike view entire experience. I want to just talk about this. What does he mean here?
0: I don't think he's wrong because, as has been said many different ways by many different people um, on Twitter and and elsewhere, and not just about Latter-day Saints, but about um, American Christian churches generally. The perspective seems to be that what is driving younger people out of the church isn't anything other than their perspective that the church is failing to be fully Christian. And this is the issue that in which that is most frequently demonstrated. A Christian behavior is not unusual when we're talking about how various American Christian faiths. And of course, it's not just America, but but I'm, I think our conversation is sort of naturally focused on American issues when it comes to this divide. This is, this is the problem. You have to go read the article, dear listener,
1: because on this particular point it's excellent it goes and walks us through gay um, support groups in byu idaho and talks about what it was like to be in berkeley during prop 8 and um matt Morastika's response um, and it talks about just lgbtq issues generally I mean, when I said earlier that this is like the issue that matters, it's not. Feminism is really important. Racism is
0: really important. LGBTQ seems to pop to the the top of the stack quite a lot. I think rightly so, because we as a culture are navigating this, and we are navigating it really quickly. Things have changed so much just since I moved into the Berkeley Ward in 2006. Since then, Prop 8 has come and gone, uh, not to mention a million other landmarks in this Um, This endeavor, and it's also a really clear way for, just thinking of myself, I can see that my own vocabulary and and tone has changed over the last 15 years. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anything in my backlog that would suggest I was uh, so very, very, very wrong on this issue, but certainly I have been uh, much more wrong than I am today. Um, and I mean, I am the sort of person who did not have, did not know that I had a relationship with a gay person until after I graduated from college. And ends up a lot of, I went to a lot of to high school with a lot of gay people, but none of them were out of the closet, right? I wasn't totally convinced it was a real thing. I didn't really, it, it was, it was vague and far away. And so it was hard to recognize how important it was difficult to recognize the reality of people's, um, pain. I'm not particularly happy about
1: um, <laughs> that period of time in 2008, <laughs> and I, and specifically my uh, response. I didn't know then what I know now. I was a different person. I really feel like I would have handled it differently if it happened today. But it was definitely tra- it was definitely a learning experience
0: yeah I think it forced a lot of us to look at the mirror for the first time or not even in the mirror just look at the world and look at real people in a different way because we were about to take an action as voters that would impact people's lives for those that don't know prop 8 was a measure that was designed to um
1: illegalize the marriage between a man and a man and a woman and a woman um and it received a lot of support institutionally from the church of jesus christ of latter day saints at the time when it was proposed that re- support was not ha- was not liked by many of the members of, of the of this area and the because of this the berkeley area was the site of many 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 protests at the time sir neil patrick harris there we go i'm going to call <laughs> i'm going to put a sir at the front of his name <laughs> Even though he hasn't been officially united but Sir Neil Patrick Harris uh did a musical about it. If you'd like to know more,
0: he did. Yeah, prop propate prop the musical. Oh, I didn't know that. That's right. Wow, Jack Black is in it. <laughs> Margaret Cho, Andy Richter, Maya Rudolph, John C. Riley. Yeah, it's it quite quite the cast. It ain't nothing. Patrick Robinson, Rashida Bell.
1: But yeah. So the um, article here talks about it, and it was really kind of a a turning point, and um, echoes of it reverberate, and um, it's an issue. And as Dr. Park says, these issues will likely shape modern Mormonism for better or for worse. It's becoming an increasingly divisive wedge between generations. And the reason I like that particular phrase and why I've now said it twice is because it's exactly what I see. I see my generation as kind of an intermediate one, one where some of us are very much on the side of gay rights and others are very much on this, on the other side of gay rights, whatever that title should be. But <laughs> pretty much everybody, you know, my kid's age <laughs> are firmly going to pride parades um, in this, in this, at least uh, around me that I've noticed. Yeah. And then the older generation, not so much. I see what he's saying, a, general, a generational divisive wedge. And it's becoming the prism through which members and leaders alike view the entire experience, meaning that people stay or go just based
0: on this issue. Certainly seen it. I mean, this, this issue does make it harder to, um, to do apologetics, right? <laughs> well, look,
1: Eric, this is one yeah. of the reasons we've never done it on this show. This is the, we've. This is our fourth season, and this is the first time we've really talked um, about LGBTQ issues.
0: Now, partly I'm it's sure. because I know I've told the Prop Eight story before, a couple of them. But anyway, go ahead. Well, okay, never like directly like this. It haven't, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe not this in depth. Not that we're going very in depth. <laughs> I don't know how to go in depth. This is
1: the problem. The problem is that you know straight white dudes. <laughs> <laughs> we ha- I don't know, man. I have a hard time interacting. It's one of the reasons I like this area so much is that I do get to interact with way more LGBTQ people than I would have any other time. And it's what has changed my mind. Well, I don't know that it changed my mind is the right word. Opened my mind, opened my eyes, helped me see things. There's a quote in this article, one of the support group members of BYU-Idaho said, there's a saying that there's only two types of Mormons, Mormons who support gay rights and Mormons who have never met a gay person. And I just, I don't know, man, that feels pretty pretty accurate to me. (laughs) I think so.
0: And, you know, that could be a really positive way to look at it, though, right? Like, it's just a failure of experience. And it's not that the membership is entrenched in this way it's just that they're ignorant not that ignorance is a great excuse but it is it does open the door to solving the problem
1: one of the reasons i'm okay so did you ever did you see uh bo burnham's inside uh no i don't know what i don't, I don't understand any word you just said okay it's a comedy special on netflix i can't really recommend it because it's a bit depressing at one point, there's a guy talking to a sock puppet, an actual puppet that he makes on his hand and the sock and he's talking to him and he's like, well, how can I help understand these issues about it? You know, and like try and, and help. And the guy and the puppet says, um, I don't know, go read a book. It's so exhausting that all you want to do is talk to us about it. Yeah. <laughs> that is a big issue. So I see the Okay. And then if you know the special, you know, that that particular bit takes an ironic twist just just focusing on that moment i'm also reluctant to talk about it
0: like this because i know that i
1: I sometimes feel like i have no right to do so
0: right maybe not but you're also right that we don't have the right to insist that therefore the victimized do all the explaining i would have voted no on prop eight now given
1: the experience that i've had
0: I was extremely torn at the moment. Um, I ended up voting for it for reasons that are not at all satisfying yep. to me now, and I I felt terrible about it from the very moment. I I wasn't sad that it failed or it, it did pass. No, it passed. It, it just got passed and then it got thrown out. That's or right, right. <laughs> I I like to believe it didn't pass. That's that's how. <laughs> it's what were
1: what were we thinking? How could that ever? Possibly have been a justified
0: thing to do. It wasn't. I think the problem was I didn't have time to like completely think through it because I had managed to avoid thinking about it because it raised ancillary questions that were even more difficult. And Prop 8 forced the issue. And by the time I finished thinking about it, it was too late. Like I
1: made jokes a little bit with some of my friends and they were like deeply uncomfortable and I didn't understand why. And I just look back at it and I just think you're just an idiot. But we're in a better place now. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's going to happen? How are we going to get? Um, how is this? Where is this issue going to go? Ben Park doesn't think it's going to go anywhere.
0: There was a link to another Twitter thread I sent you a while ago. I don't know if I'd be able to find it again. I don't know if it matters. But um, this person suggested that the schism would become official in some way, and that the hope would be that with so many people leaving into this alternate version of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, that that would force a reconciliation, allowing them to come back together. Like enough people would leave that it would be disastrous to kick them all out. I I don't love that. I hate it.
1: Um, Listen, I want to talk about this stuff because I love the church. I feel like at this point, I need to go ahead and state that again, right? It has brought me so much joy over my life. And, you know, Book of Mormon is great. One would even say it's true, right? I really have, I have a, uh, you know, I love the history and I love the oddities of it. And I don't know what to do about this issue. I don't know what to do about it doctrinally, but I do know what to do about it ethically.
0: Yes, the ethics are easy. Um, there's so I'm reading a book right now called Stretching the Heavens by Terrell Givens. It's a biography of um Eugene England, famous Mormon liberal, um, uh, died about 20 years ago. And and Gene, I think, is like a great model for me and a great human being, full stop. Um, but one thing Gene did a lot and One thing I disagree with the book about is like Givens is always saying like he was naive, he was dumb, he couldn't understand why people were mad at him uh, for the opinions he held. But I think what Gene was actually doing is I think that he was um, he believed in um, things like racial equality and gay rights and and these sorts of things. He believed in them so fully and was so certain that they were correct, that he kept giving people. The chance, like he kept telling people what he really thought, even though it got him in trouble. Eventually, you know, he uh, lost his job with CES, and uh, things went wrong for him over and over again. But he was he was so loyal and devout to the church that nobody could doubt that, even if they didn't like the things he was saying. And I think I think the reason he kept saying them is because he needed to give people the chance to hear them and react to them, and the reactions were uniformly bad, pretty much. But I think that is a heroic thing to do it's hard to talk about this stuff publicly on a podcast when i was a kid i had this theory that the way to solve humans problems was for everyone to marry outside their racial identity so within a few generations everyone would look the same so scientifically this is not a functioning this is not a good wow. idea it's not going to work <laughs> but um but even if like it was like Uh, an enforced thing to try to like solve racism. And we're all going to, we're all, we all buy into it. Um, like it, it still wouldn't work scientifically, like, but, um, my mom, I later found out thought that, uh, I guess I had mentioned, I don't ever remember mentioning to my mom, but my mom was pretty convinced that I would eventually, um, uh, bring home someone of an exotic race, so to speak, um, as my potential spouse. And my mom spent a long time, like, trying to be ready for that but the thing she was she could never like quite accept was like how her father would react she she didn't believe that um that he (laughs) would be able to accept that um as it ended up i got engaged at byu so that wasn't a big risk (laughs) but um but uh but I think about that sometimes. Like my grandfather was a good man. Um, I don't know if he ever met a black person in his life. Um, I grew up. I grew up in the same county where he spent almost his entire life. And there was one time where the Weekly Reader came out, and it was about Martin Luther King Day. And we were actually probably wasn't about Martin Luther King Day. It's probably just about the civil rights movement. But it probably came out in January. But that was before every state had approved uh, Martin Luther King Day, so it probably wasn't officially that. But anyway. Um, we were talking about this and the teacher was talking about it and she's like, Oh, wait a second. She could tell we weren't getting it. Like something wasn't working. I I don't, I remember what she said. I don't really remember what we said or what my thoughts were at the time, but she said, I can tell you guys aren't getting this. And she realized like, Oh, it's because, because you guys have never met a black person. And my friend Jeremy said, no, that's not true. We know, we know Victor, Victor was a kid in the other fifth grade class. And she's like, Victor's Mexican. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. So, so like growing up in uh, Fair Lake County was not great for helping me understand that the world is wild and diverse and, and not just the people look different on TV, but because of history and various other things, people have very different lived experiences. Even today, it's not enough to say that we're all children of God. It's not enough to say that we all are the same on the inside. Like that is like you know, colorblindness is sounds like a very noble goal, but it prevents us from really seeing people for who they are and what their experiences are. And um, that's not just true of race, obviously. It it applies to um, the LGBTQ community also. I want to acknowledge that I
1: really appreciated the comments that we got from people on the Discord server. The idea that we could heal this these schisms by following the teachings of Jesus Christ and by um, recognizing um, Americanism versus globalism and looking for ways to fight through labels. Those were good ideas and I found them very valuable. Um, Yeah. Shout out to Connor and Kent. So if you'd like to, um,
0: I feel like I'm wrapping up. Do you have other words? Okay this is very unresolved, but, uh, but frankly, like we, as a people are in an unresolved state. I feel, so.
1: I feel that way too. Like, it would be nice to have some kind of like hook to hang the conversation on at the end. But um, I mean, if we quote the end of Ben Parks his his Twitter thread, he says, um, yes, Mormon litter, Mormon history is littered with examples of bottom-up revelation, right? Referring to revelation that came from the
0: membership right right primary being the most right right because
1: primary was was a program that was kind of put together and then by the members and then kind of adopted by the by the leadership right i don't actually know much about it but did i get there okay that's sufficient (laughs) going on but that typically comes when one we have receptive leadership or two circumstances become dire I'm not sure either, either is the case now or will be for a while. That's why I'd love to be wrong. I'm skeptical liberal Mormonism has a bright future, at least in the short term. Both public and private interactions point to a deep retrenchment.
0: I, I'm not sure I buy that. Okay, good. That. That, um, I'm not sh- that, I don't want to. That it won't be the case for a while. Um, to quote another great scholar, Whitney Houston, Aaron, like, I believe the children of the future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. That was Whitney, right? Maybe I should double check that before. I... <laughs> um, could it be John Lennon? Yeah, okay, I was thinking Houston. of a match. Um, No, it was okay. it was it was Whitney. Um, I, every, I'm on a first name basis with everyone. <laughs> this episode, by the way, I think that's good to know. <laughs> yeah, but um, the children are the future, and where are the children going to be? That's right. Okay, well let's hang the let's
1: hang the episode on that hook then. Put our hats on as it were. Oh,
0: (laughs) take our faces out of our hats and put the hats back on.
1: Um, if you'd like to uh, join the discord server and hang out with us, then please do, there's a link to it in the show notes. Uh, We'd like to thank our music person, Daniel Foster Smith and acknowledge that we're proud members of the dialogue, uh, podcasting network. And, um, you should go and find these podcasts and they're because they're fun and they're great. Good. And uh, I think that's all.